Hello and welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 205 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, and tonight we'll talk about Jason Rosario scoring a huge upset special over Julian J. Rock Williams, 30-1 to underdog. Pulls out a great upset. Three weeks into the year, we already got a massive, massive upset. This could be a really hot 2020. Also going to give some thoughts on the McGregor Cowboy UFC pay-per-view. And, of course, we'll preview Garcia Red Catch on Showtime. So, uh, before we get into that, guys, want to let you know that next Monday is our first call-in show live. Okay, so... Uh, I will do a video probably this weekend on my channel, giving some more details. But the number is going to be 213-267-7787. No need to memorize that. Uh, We'll have it on the show for you guys. And, uh, of course, I'll talk more about that Monday. So, excited for that. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. Also, I will uh, eventually get an 800 number, a toll-free number on board for international callers. Because I think right now, if international callers... I think if you use Skype, it won't be that bad. But if you guys call from your phone from overseas, it's going to cost you. But I will get an 800 number set up so that you guys will have toll-free calling. All right? It costs more on my end, but that's what I do for you guys. Who loves you, baby? All right, as always, please spread the word about the show, especially starting next week since this will be a call-in show. Guys, this, this boxing podcast is going to have everything, okay? Now that we're going to have call-in, you guys can call in. We can chat. We can also have guests on the show. We're going to have fighters, promoters, network people, trainers, other media people on the show regularly once we get the phone situation figured out and smoothed out. I know it's going to be a little bumpy at first. It's going to take a few weeks to get it all figured out. But very, very soon we're going to have weekly guests on the show to kick off the episode and then we'll go into your guys' calls. It's going to be great, man. All right, a lot of news to catch up on, right? We didn't have a show Monday. So let me jump right into this news. Um, by the way, it happened. It happened. we have to do a little Jim Lampley this week. Bang. We got to do some Jim Lampley because it happened. We've, I've been talking about the call-in feature forever, right? And we're going to have that next week. So, uh, yeah, I'm a little excited. Anyway, Floyd Mayweather wins a Fighter of the Decade Award from the Boxing Writers Association of America. My thing is, uh, not surprised at all by this. I told you guys that's probably who they were going to vote for. It was going to be him or Canelo. They gave Canelo Fighter of the Year. So it makes sense. Now, look, if you have Floyd as your Fighter of the Decade 2010 to 2019, Okay, that's cool. I mean, he's certainly in the top two or three. I just think it really depends on what criteria you rate. I've talked about this. I did a long video explaining it, so I'm not going to get too much into it. Uh, Not at all shocked by this or offended or anything like that. It is what it is. Me, personally, you asked me to pick a guy. It's Roman Gonzalez. I I gave you guys the reasoning. He had the most fights in the decade, most titles at the most weights. And I think he had the best win that's aged the best in the entire decade. That win over Estrada in 2012, that flies under the radar for too many people. So he'd be my pick, okay? But if you, get, if you pick Floyd, cool, good for you, no argument from me. Reason why I bring up Floyd, Instagram post that he put out against uh, or about Conor McGregor, about doing a rematch. And he also had one on there about Khabib, about fighting them. Now, there was a big UFC event this weekend, which I'll talk a little bit about in a second. But uh, don't worry, guys. I'm not going to go on a long diatribe. It's not going to be negative, just giving some insight. Because I actually attended a fight party that was watching that card, and I asked some diehard MMA fans a few questions and got some insight that I thought you boxing guys, and some of you guys like both, uh, might find interesting. Anyway, of course, Floyd had to jump in and get some publicity for himself during that big event, right? And they're talking, it was at least a million buys. It might have been 2 million pay-per-view buys. It was at least well over a million. I don't think 2 million has been substantiated. Probably won't be, but well over a million. That's big. That's really big. And, of course, Floyd talked about maybe fighting Conor McGregor again, maybe fighting Khabib. Floyd's going to come back. I know he says he's retired. He's going to come back. The question isn't when or I'm sorry, the question isn't if, it's when, and against who. I think it's probably going to be another MMA guy or something like that, and some of these cross-promotional things, that's probably what we're going to see. Uh, we already got a super chat, $5 super chat from my man, Survive. I appreciate it. He says the podcast gets better and better. 
Thank you very, very much, Survive. I appreciate it. And guys, it keeps getting better and better and better because of your support. Because the guys like you survived. So thank you very, very much. We got a super chat pledge also from, come on, what is this thing doing? From JMO, but my feed won't update here on my monitor. There it is. Okay, from JMO, he says, really don't care about fighter of the decade that much, but Floyd's inactivity in fighting a kickboxer and MMA fighter doesn't do it for me. Hate to say it, but Canelo is. JMO, thank you for the super chat. Appreciate that. And, you know, honestly, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. It's all subjective. It depends on what you rate, what you don't rate. For me, I I agree with you. Floyd only fought half the decade. Uh, Post-2015, he fought a kickboxer in an exhibition fight. He fought an MMA guy technically in a boxing match that should have been sanctioned as an exhibition fight. So I don't put him there. Uh, you can say Canelo is is a candidate. Absolutely. He's up there in the top two or three names. It's really between Floyd, Chocolatito, and Canelo, in my opinion. And it really just depends on what you rate and what categories, you know, what criteria matters more to you. So uh, I don't disagree with anything you just said there, brother. Uh, Jason82 with the Super Chat. Thank you so much. He says, Triple G, Canelo 3, who wins and why? You know what? I think we're probably going to get that later this year. I think a lot of who wins and why, it depends on the weight, dude. If it's at 160, I actually think that benefits Golovkin, who, by the way, I, I think is going to look better in his next fight. But that fight might not happen till May. So I think what you're going to see with Golovkin is two fights this year, one in May, one in September. It's likely going to be the same thing for Canelo. If the boxing gods were smart, they'd put them on the same card in May. I know that ain't going to happen it, it, they'll be a week apart, possibly a month apart, possible, but uh, we'll have to see. But yeah, dude, at this point, it's just too early to tell. If it's at 164, 168, something like that, you got to favor Canelo heavily. You just have to because of the trajectory of their careers and where they're at. But if he has to melt back down to 160, if they do it at 160, I actually think that really benefits Golovkin, who can make 160 in his sleep. He's not a big middleweight. It's actually Canelo Believe it or not, who's the bigger guy between the two? And some people will find that controversial. It shouldn't be. He's the bigger guy for several reasons. But uh, so that's, we just got to wait, dude. We got to just pump the brakes on that and wait. Uh, Super chat pledge from Pietro. Thank you so much. He says, sending you that Gotti t-shirt soon, bro. Thank you so much, dude. I can't wait. I'll rock it right here on the show. This guy, Pietro, uh, check him out on Instagram. Pietro, put your Instagram link here on the chat so everybody can see it. Guys, check out this dude's T-shirt designs. He's got a real gift, awesome tees, and he's sending me a Gotti shirt that uh, I'll rock right here on the show to show you guys. Uh, I think he just posted it. PST Shirts 1. PST, the letter T, Shirts 1. That's uh, his... his, uh, his IG link. So check that out, guys. MJB Tacos in the house. Yo, what's up, baby? MJB, you better be on next week. We got those phone calls, brother. All right. Uh, okay, so let's get into it. Thank you, you guys, for the super chats. That's freaking awesome, man. Again, this show keeps getting badder and badder because you guys are supporting it. So thank you. I want to talk real quick about McGregor Cowboy. Don't yell at me yet. Okay. Cause I know a lot of you guys on here are like, this is boxing only. Don't talk about MMA. I'm not going to go into this very long. I just made a, a really interesting observation this week that I wanted to share with you guys and get your thoughts. Okay. So I was, uh, I was traveling, I was visiting my sister, uh, who lives like four or five hours North of here and her baby, uh, just had his one year birthday. So I was up visiting her, staying with her for a, a couple of nights and Saturday was her son's first birthday. My nephew, Luca, it was his uh, first birthday. So we were celebrating. But then that night there was this uh, McGregor uh, pay-per-view fight, right? This Connor versus Cowboy pay-per-view fight. And a couple of friends that I have uh, up there in North Carolina, they love UFC. They love boxing too, but they're even bigger, much, much bigger into UFC. I've kind of gotten them into boxing a little bit, right? So they do fight parties for all the fights, and they had this pay-per-view, and they're like, Mike, you're going to be in town. Come on, say hi. So I went there and said hi for a few minutes, and I tweeted a few times Saturday night because I I didn't want to go to this party and not know anything about the fights. You guys know I don't follow MMA. 
So I looked up Conor McGregor's record. It turns out going into that fight Saturday night against Cowboy Cerrone, it looks like Cerrone, but they pronounce it Cerrone. Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, Conor had lost two of his last four going into that fight and hadn't fought for like a year or something. His last fight, he lost in pretty dominant fashion to Khabib, right? Who's, who looks legit. He might be the best MMA fighter in the world right now, that, that Khabib dude. Uh, I can't even pronounce his last name. It starts with an N. And then Cowboy had lost six of his last 10 going into the fight with Conor McGregor. So my thoughts were, and I posted uh, a tweet about this. I just said, how does a guy, because this was pay-per-view. This, and the pay-per-view was only $65. It, it was che- a little cheaper than the boxing pay-per-views. But still, it was pay-per-view. And I'm thinking, one dude's lost two of his last four. Last loss was pretty dominant. And then if you count boxing, he's technically lost three of his last five. If you count that thing against Floyd as a fight, which I don't. And then with Cowboy, he had lost six of his last ten coming in. The, his last fight was a first-round knockout loss by punches. His last fight before that was stopped. So he had been stopped twice in a row, coming off a first-round knockout punches, strikes as they call it there. And these guys are headlining a pay-per-view. That's crazy. I can't think of that ever happening in boxing, ever. Boxing fans would not have it. As much as boxing fans can be gullible and buy bullshit, they're not that damn gullible, right? And MMA is so new. UFC is so new. And you don't have the, the global, nuanced uh, fan base with that historical reference, right? So I, anyway, I tweeted about that. And a lot of people... All the MMA fans were, were like, dude, I don't give a shit if Connor lost. I don't give a shit if Cowboy lost. I'm buying this pay-per-view. This is awesome. Connor's the man. Even some boxing people, some people that work in the boxing industry that also kind of dabble in, into the MMA industry as well were saying the same thing. Uh, my boy Marcos Viegas was, was telling me that Connor McGregor is the biggest star in sports, not just in UFC, but in all sports. He's the biggest star. I don't know about that, but that's how he feels. And he, he's in, in the boxing industry. He's in MMA as well. So that was interesting. Anyway, I went to this fight party, and I asked a few of the guys there, my, my, my boy Greg, my boy Trey, and I asked them, man, everything I just said to you guys, do you care that this one dude had 13 losses? He's, he now has 14 losses in his career. Hasn't had a major win in years. It's been years since Cowboy has had a decent victory, right, over a top guy. Conor McGregor has lost two of his last four. Shouldn't these guys have like a tune-up fight on on regular ESPN or Fox, whatever it is, before a pay-per-view? None of them gave a shit. They're like, man, I don't care. I don't care how many losses Cowboy has. He's the man. I don't care how many losses Conor has. He's the man. I'm all in. We're buying this damn pay-per-view. And what happens? Exactly what you would expect to happen. Conor McGregor dominates the guy, knocks him out in a round. He didn't do anything more than the last guy who fought Cowboy who knocked him out in one round. Again, this dude's been knocked out in his last two fights in the first round. Okay, So that's exactly what you would expect based on that complete mismatch. And I'm a novice with MMA, but I could just look at the records and say, yeah, shit, this is going to be a dominant win by McGregor. If that had happened in boxing, there would be outrage. But it doesn't matter over an MMA. The fans are so dialed in to that product. They love Conor so much. He could literally fight a gorilla or fight a bear or fight a penguin or you know a, a duck. Or, and they'd pay 65 bucks to watch it. It doesn't matter. So there really is something to the Conor McGregor effect. He does move the needle. Now, a part of that is him when he fought Floyd Mayweather, he was the B side, right? And that helped build up his name a little bit for Floyd. It was just a money-making thing for Connor. It was genius because of it made him a bigger star. But uh, I just found that very interesting. The dynamic, the, the, the difference in culture between boxing fans and UFC fans, uh, boxing fans are definitely more fickle, but I do think that look, in any division in boxing, you have maybe 1,500-plus fighters that are licensed professional fighters in any of the 17 divisions in boxing. 
In UFC, you just don't have that depth of talent. There's just not that many fighters. So it's a smaller pool of fighters that's easier to control. And it's a newer sport, a newer brand, so it's easier to write narratives and manipulate fans. And I'm not saying that in a negative, condescending way. It's just the reality of the way sports programming is done. This has been done a million times before. It'll be done a million times after. But the Conor McGregor wave is going to keep going for a while. That People are going to jump aboard that ride for the next few years until he gets whatever happens with him and then there's another one. It was Ronda Rousey, now it's Conor, right? Before Ronda, I think it was uh, Chuck Liddell. Those, you know, there's always one. And they're going to ride that wave. And it really doesn't matter who the guy loses to, how many times he loses, what he does outside the cage. This guy has a bunch of sexual assault allegations against him. No one gives a shit. They are all in on Conor McGregor. And the, the last thing I'll mention about this, you saw boxing people talking about Conor McGregor. You saw Manny Pacquiao's team wants a piece. Bob Arum, who hates MMA, hates it. This has a disdain for MMA. He talked about uh, Terrence Crawford fighting Conor McGregor. So when you have boxing people, there was a bunch of fighters attending that card. I want to say Clarissa Shields was attending. Tyson Fury at least talked about it. So that wasn't happening five years ago, 10 years ago. There is something to this Conor McGregor thing. And I think a big part of it, the genius of him, his management, I should say, is going along with that Floyd Mayweather freak show. They knew they were going to lose. Yes, there was a gentleman's agreement. Floyd and him talked about it. The over-under was nine and a half rounds. Floyd knocked him out in the 10th round. Do the math, ladies and gentlemen. It was a complete farce. But the fans didn't think so. They ate it up. And there are a bunch of UFC fans on Twitter saying, man, Connor's got a real chance in this rematch. And then there are certain boxing journalists going along with that narrative so they can get their piece of the pie uh, covering it. You know, some respected senior level journalist journalist, uh, saying things like that. So it's, it's just very interesting. The dynamic with this guy has really flipped more so than the Ronda Rousey thing, even more so. Because boxing people never paid attention to Ronda Rousey, right? Uh, they, they just, they always knew what that was. And they all kind of just scoffed and laughed and made a ton of money when she fought Holly Holm betting in Vegas. We all knew it was going to happen. But with Connor, boxing people are paying attention to him. And that tells me that a dynamic has changed here. It, it's, it's a big deal. So it's worth noting. And I wanted to bring that up. Just the cultural difference between the two fan bases. Because if... I'm trying to, if Canelo Alvarez had officially lost two of his last four fights and came back and fought, um, I'm trying to think of someone who would be equivalent to Cowboy Cerrone. With you look at that record, it's almost like looking at Robert Guerrero. That's kind of where he is. But in MMA circles, he's a legend. He's a legend, right? In boxing circles, people see Robert Guerrero for what he is. But if boxing had only been around for 20 years, Robert Guerrero would be seen as a Hall of Famer, a legend. But we, we have nuanced fans who understand the marketing push when you call, you know, Robert Guerrero a multi-weight champion. He was never a champion. He held pieces of titles, right? But imagine a guy, imagine Errol Spence coming, up, coming back from his car accident in fighting Robert Guerrero on pay-per-view. That's kind of what this was. Not exactly, of course. P- boxing fans would be pissed. Even pro PBC guys would be like, this is messed up. Not the same over there. Those fans are all in. They have done something right over there, and they, they've got the casual sports fan. It's like with football, the people who only watch the Super Bowl, right? That's the casual sports fan. That is who UFC has got. 90% of their fan base are those people, and they tune in for those certain events that feature a name, Ronda Rousey, Conor McGregor, whoever it is. That's a big deal. That's a big deal, guys. And it's something that we got to pay attention to. Okay, anyway, uh, Super Chat Pledge from Deed3440. Thank you so much. He asked, what do you see in the future for Nayoya Inoue? Funny you should ask that. Thank you for the Super Chat. He's probably going to fight Casimero. I don't want to talk too much about it because uh, John Rael Casimero coming off that big upset win over Zolani Tete. Um, Big win for, I think it was third round knockout, something like that. So he had a good win, 
And they're talking about, in a way, uh, his first fight in America, fighting Casimero, who I think is a Filipino, I believe Filipino. So if they do that fight in L.A., Japanese guy, Filipino in L.A., do that stub or stub hub. What do they call it now? Dignity Health Sports Park or whatever. That will that will do very very good there. So that's probably what Inoue is going to do next. And then I see him uh, eventually jumping up to 122, and a fight against uh, Navarrete down the line. So if by the way, if he does fight Casimero in his first fight with top rank, dude, that that's a great first fight with top rank. Look at what Tyson Fury's been doing. That's kind of the Opposite direction. Okay, uh, back to news and notes. So anyway, just wanted to give you guys my insight on that. Hopefully I didn't rant on it for too long or lose your interest. But all right, back to boxing. Andy Ruiz dumps trainer Manny Robles. I hate to say I'm surprised. So um, I think there was an interview with Andy Ruiz's father saying that this was an Al Heyman decision, which is complete 100% certified Bullshit. This was 100% on Andy Ruiz and his team. Uh, parting ways with Manny Robles. Robles, to his credit, was classy as hell uh, just in his response. I think um, Steve Kim at ESPN tweeted a couple of quotes from Manny Robles. And uh, Robles couldn't have handled it better. Okay, All class. But you think about this, man. Him and Ruiz made history last year. They made history. One of the biggest upsets in sports all of sports this century, this millennium, <laughs> the last 20 years, I don't put it anywhere near Douglas Tyson. It just wasn't. But so I don't put it up there, but in sports in general, the last 20 years, okay, 2000 to 2020, this was one of the biggest upsets, not just in boxing, but in sports. It was huge. It was a big upset. And just a few months later, you have a fighter who, is is just being an idiot. There's no other way to put it. Just being an irresponsible idiot. And blew his shot. Now, you guys know my my whole opinion on this. Anthony Joshua is always going to beat Andy Ruiz in that rematch. He's just a much better fighter. Ruiz kind of struck lightning in that first fight. It was a perfect sea of craziness and madness for it to happen. But all things considered, for him to dump Manny Robles like this, I mean, after that rematch, when it was 100 per 110% on Ruiz. That's just shitty, man. That's just really shitty. And it is, it's just the way it happens to trainers in this business. Uh, being a trainer is a thankless job. That's why you guys should never, ever talk shit about a trainer who's um, trying to get paid better, who's demanding a bigger percentage, or honestly, just just demanding what was agreed upon. Because you see a lot of times, a fighter and a trainer have an agreement for a percentage. Once a fighter gets to a certain level in the game and now they're making seven figures, you know, five million a fight or something, they want to change it on the trainer. I never blame a trainer, especially when they bring a guy up from the bottom that says, hey, man, we had an agreement. Pay me my damn money. Okay, I'm a human being, too. I've worked my butt off, too. Of course, the fighter should get the lion's share. The fighter sometimes does make the trainer. But in this case, Manny Robles had a big, massive part in getting Andy Ruiz ready to beat Anthony Joshua, right? I mean, that's, that's, that was huge on Manny Robles. And he tried to do everything in his power to get him ready for that rematch. It is what it is, man. It's a thankless job. Um, also, Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas. So they're fighting in Dallas coming up in a couple months. They have agreed to do full VADA testing for their fight. Now, those of you who follow me on Twitter... A week or two ago, you probably saw me tweet at Matchroom and copy Eddie Hearn and ask about VADA testing because there had been no news about VADA for that fight. And I didn't get a response, but I'm not saying it. I made this happen. Not at all saying that. But guys like me asking questions, I, wasn't, I couldn't have been the only one. People asking questions publicly on social where people see it, okay, it, you're an influencer in the boxing industry. You put questions out there, even if you're a small profile like mine or a huge profile like some of these other guys, you ask the questions to the people publicly, they have to respond. You might not get a response to your tweet, your email, whatever it is, but we got a response here. So uh, look, 
some of you guys give me hell for always asking about drug testing, this, that, the other. You got to do it, okay? You got to do it and you get results. So Garcia Vargas, full Vada testing for their fight, which is great. We need more of that. Uh, speaking of match room, they just signed an extension for Demetrius Andrade. I think it's a four-fight extension. Does it really matter? No, unless he's going to fight somebody. Hopefully this year in 2020, he gets a fight that we give a damn about. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's let's review what happened last weekend, and then we'll preview what's coming up this weekend. We'll get to some more of you guys' questions, okay? And starting Monday, uh, you guys can call in with questions. How awesome is that going to be? So Friday, January 17th, Salida Promotions put on a card in Sloan, Iowa. Uh, There's a showbox card. I asked, why wasn't this fight in Detroit? Because three of the prospects fighting on it are based in Detroit. The one to really keep an eye on, Shojahan Ergashev. 18 and 0 now. Uh, Uzbeki Borg now fights out of Detroit. Trains at Kronk, the new Kronk gym. Scored a KO1 with an amazing body shot. Terrific body shot over Mexican born Adrian Astrea, who has now lost three of his last four. Uh, these guys are 140 pounders. So make no mistake, this was a complete showcase fight. Okay? We all knew Urgashev was going to win. It's not a question of if he was going to win, but how. He blasted this guy out of there in a round. In a post-fight interview, Estrella said that he literally was hurt so bad by the body shot, he could not hear the ref counting. The ref was right next to him screaming, seis, sete, ocho, screaming it to him, and he couldn't hear it. So, like, that tells you how bad that body punch is. The pain was so bad, dude's ears just stopped working. (laughs) Okay, that's what he said. Impressive win. Now, here's the problem. The Detroit boxing scene, the Michigan boxing scene, is complete dog shit right now. And a big part of it is because the people there are focusing on the wrong things, focusing on the wrong people. Case in point, I'm in a couple of uh, boxing chat rooms on Facebook, social, whatever, and I you know, have friends back in Detroit that I regularly talk to about the Detroit fight scene that are trying to get it going again, right? You, like I said, you had three Detroit fighters on this card. They're fighting in Iowa. They should have been fighting in Detroit. But the commission in Michigan is compromised. It's a shit commission right now. You saw the complete shit show with Clarissa Shields and Ivana Habasin, uh, where uh, Bashir was assaulted by Clarissa Shields' cousin last year. That happened in Michigan. Have we heard anything about that? No. <laughs> I mean, nothing happened. They all kind of just tried to sweep that under the rug. So that co- that commission is compromised. On top of that, um, just... You got to have the names. You got to have the stars. But what if one of the names or stars or someone to at least keep an eye on wasn't born in Detroit, but is fighting out of Detroit? You should support that guy. Right now, if any prospect fighting in Detroit, and I'm including guys born and raised there and guys who have moved there, this Shojahan Ergashev is the top prospect. On every Michigan or Detroit post or, or chat room that I saw, um, no one knew who Ergashev was. They're all focused on a kid from Detroit who's a good quality fighter. He's not. He's just not going to be the level of fighter that Ergashev is. So again, good quality prospect, the kid from Detroit. But this Ergashev, that's who people should be paying attention to. But because he's an Eastern European guy, doesn't quite speak the language. You know, doesn't look and feel like uh, the, the Detroit boxing community is used to fighters looking and feeling. No one even knows who he is, and he's fighting off in Iowa. That's the problem there. So um, I just wanted to mention that because you guys know Detroit's my hometown. I'm from Michigan, and you know I get asked this all the time. What the hell happened to Detroit? You think of Detroit, you think of it being a fight town. Well, you always hear Detroit's a fight town, right? You think of all the great fighters from Michigan. I mean, Floyd Mayweather's from Michigan, right? Uh, James Tony, there's a million names. Joe Lewis, the greatest heavyweight ever, wasn't born there, but pretty much lived a lot of his life and became a fighter in Detroit, right? He represented Detroit as a fighter. So many names I could bring up. I mean, come on, Hearns, Thomas Hearns, there's a million of them. What happened? Big part of it, man, is just the community is there focused on the wrong thing, talking about the wrong thing. And I think the old guard boxing press and boxing heads, the old school. They look at cities like Detroit, Philadelphia, New York, and they say, man, boxing just ain't what it used to be. 
it's not necessarily that. It's that you guys are in denial that the demographics of the sport have changed. And you have to accept that. This sport is globalized now. And the boxing markets now in America are in the Southwest and in Texas. That, that's where the big markets are now. That's where the kids are growing up fighting. You still have fighters in the Midwest and everything, but you're going to start seeing this more and more. Where you might have a fighter repping Chicago, but they were born in Poland. You might have a fighter repping uh, Philadelphia, but they were born in Mexico. You know, or something like that. You're going to see more of this. So I think the representatives of the local boxing communities and commissions and everything need to recognize that and understand that the demographics of this sport are ever evolving. And you got to adapt with the times, man. You got to adapt with the times. So I bring that up because I mentioned, you know, Detroit. Let's talk about Philly because last Saturday, January 18th, Jason Rosario scores a TKO5 win over Julian J. Rock Williams in Philadelphia. J. Rock from Philly. This fight had a terrible attendance. They overpriced the tickets. They put it in a, a venue that made no sense for, this, for their card like this. Uh, did they, not the best job of promoting it. I thought they did okay. They did a pretty good job, but not great. They could have did better. Uh, because of the overpriced tickets, where the, the venue was, this was a 30 to 1 fight. So odds makers had Williams as a 30 to 1 favorite. When you got a 30 to 1 favorite in the main event, you better price those damn tickets the right way. You better put it in a venue that makes sense. A 2000 seat venue would have been perfect for this fight. Seriously, that's not me hating on J Rock. If J Rock heard two was happening in Philly, completely different story. Completely different story. But on paper, J Rock. Rosario should have been in a two, 3,000 seat venue. It should have been a venue like um, that, that MGM there out of D.C., just out of the D.C. area. MGM, I can't think of the damn name of it. It's a brand new MGM uh, arena out there. I think it's like 2,000 seats or something like that. Top rank has gone there. I think Gary Russell might have fought there, right? So that's the kind of venue this should have been at. And it should have been, uh, the tickets should have been priced better. But they were giving away free tickets all over the place, right? They didn't want us talking about it. I even saw some people get threatened for talking about it, which is wrong and should never happen. But there were tons of free tickets. And that's such a damn shame because J-Rock was a unified champion. And coming into this fight, seen as the number one junior middleweight in the world based off his win over Jarrett Hurd last year. So the fight itself, okay, uh, Rosario fighting out of Miami, Dominican Republic native, Weak resume coming into this. The, the best fighter he'd probably fought was Nathaniel Gallimore, and he lost to him pretty decisively. So this was a massive leap in opposition for him. But you know what? Him and his team took this shit serious. They knew this was their big chance, probably their last big chance. And they did a 16-week training camp. 16 weeks, guys. Four months for you math geniuses out there. Uh, that's a crazy crazy training camp. I mean, that's like old school right there. He couldn't have been more ready for this. And for J-Rock, you know, I, I talked about this and I'll talk a little more about it in a second, but his last fight was against Hurd. I want to say that was last April, May. I can't remember. Maybe April or May, last spring and sits on the shelf. And they were thinking Jarrett Hurd rematch, right? Because there was a rematch clause that Jarrett Hurd at first, he's like, hell yeah, we're doing this immediate rematch. So in J-Rock's mind, they're preparing for Herd. Same game plan, same sparring partners, right? Same type of camp. They're going to do it the same way. Only they're coming in with more confidence and everything else because they beat him so decisively, I felt, the first time. And then J-Rock, or I'm sorry, uh, Herd says, no, 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 I can't make 154. I'm going to 160. It just kind of blows that all up. So then J-Rock's kind of sitting on the shelf. It's like you're almost kind of starting a camp and stopping, starting, stopping, starting, stopping. That's never good for a rhythm. Fighters need to be in rhythm. How often do I talk about this? Boxing is a rhythmic sport, okay? Not just the rhythm of how you fight, but the rhythm of how you train, how you live, how you prepare, your mental state, your emotional state, all of it. It's a rhythm. And fighters, veteran fighters get used to, whether it's two fights a year, three fights a year, two training camps a year, three training camps a year, they get used to that rhythm, okay? It's like the seasons. 
you, you, you can't just have a summer without having a winter. There's different seasons, right? Same thing with fighters. And J-Rock's rhythm got all sorts of fucked up going into this rematch with Rosario. Now, that's not to take anything away from Rosario, who fought beautifully. Uh, cut J-Rock in the second round and uh, just looks strong as hell and is a real problem for anybody in that division. Now, is, is he was this his 15 minutes? You know, is J, by the way, there's a rematch clause for this fight. J-Rock says he's going to enact it. They want to go right into a rematch with Rosario. Is J-Rock going to win the rematch, or is Rosario going to win and clean out the division? We don't know. We, it's too soon to tell. But props to Rosario for seizing that moment and, and getting this massive win. We're three weeks into the year. We have a huge upset. I see uh, Pietro asking, can Rosario beat Hurd? It's very possible. Styles make fights, though. And it all comes down to, can Rosario hurt Hurd? He was able to hurt J-Rock, who, by the way, Anyone else notice J-Rock's mouth was wide open after the, like, the third round? He looked great in the first round, but boy, did he look winded in the third and fourth round. Some of it had to do with Rosario's pressure, obviously. But I just wonder if J-Rock had issues cutting weight. He didn't look good. He just didn't look good. It, it almost looked like he bought into the 30. To, and I'm not trying to say this in a negative way about J-Rock. I'm a big fan of J-Rock Williams. But... It almost looked like he saw the 30 to 1 odds, the press clippings. It was like, all right, man, I need a few rounds to, to discourage this kid and then coast down the stretch. It just, I, man, his mouth was wide open, third, fourth round. And suddenly that fifth round knockout, there was a knockdown knockout there. And so after the fight, I tweeted, a lot of you guys saw this, I'm sure, that activity matters, right? I tweeted a video of the knockout. And said something to the effect of, you know, this is why activity matters, everybody. And I tweeted that. And most of you got it because it got hundreds of retweets and likes and all that. But a few of you guys out there, of course, the, my detractors, you know, my, the simps out there who always got a diss. These guys were like, dude, Rosario is coming off a longer layoff. You don't know what you're talking about. This had nothing to do with uh, activity or inactivity. You're a clown, blah, blah, blah. Of course, these guys always got something to say. Let's look a little further into this. Yes, technically, Rosario coming into this fight with J-Rock, two weeks longer layoff than J-Rock. That's true. But that's not, I'm not just talking about the layoff they were taking, guys. I'm talking about the rhythm and overall activity. And since 2017, Rosario has now had had 10 fights coming into this fight with J-Rock. 10 fights. J-Rock had six. So one guy has fought 10 times since 2017. One guy's fought six times. You look at J-Rock. He's fought twice a year, 2016, 2017, 2018. That's his rhythm as a veteran fighter. Two fights a year, two training camps a year. He knows who he's going to fight. He's in the gym training for that specific fighter. Last year, what happens? One fight. That rhythm got thrown off. All of this, inactivity over the last few years, one guy being more active, one guy having a much better training camp, one guy being much more focused. All I'm not saying it's, that's the only reason why Rosario won. The, the fighters got to fight the fights. And maybe Rosario wins 99 times out of 100 if these two fight 100 times. But all that inactivity, it matters. I just gave you guys the numbers. All right? That shit matters. Trust me. So, um, yeah, just real quick, another thing. Philly being a fight town. Philly being a big boxing market. So many great fighters coming from Philly. Great boxing tradition. It is making a bit of a comeback. But I think that the promoters or the management involved here just thought, well, shit, J-Rock's from Philly. He's got two titles. He's coming off a big win. We could throw this shit in Philly and people will show up. Nope. It's not how it works. You can maybe do that in L.A. You can maybe do that in New York. You can maybe do that in Vegas for like Floyd Mayweather or something like that. Sure. Outside of that, or, or Canelo in Vegas, outside of that, no, you actually got to promote it. And it's got to make sense. Boxing, it's just not the same as it was years ago where you could just kind of throw on a fight. And people show up. Not the same. Again, you could do that for a club show in L.A., New York. You can do that with the big stars in Vegas. Outside of that, 
you got to promote the event. you got to price it right. It's got to make sense. Also on this card, Chris Colbert improved to 14-0. The Brooklyn 130-pound prospect beats Jezreel Corrales in a lackluster fight. He was learning on the job here, uh, going up against a veteran fighter. Cor- uh, Corrales has now lost three of his last four, by the way. So uh, good win for Colbert in that respect. Took his time. This was a boring, dull fight where neither guy really wanted to take charge, which you'd like to see a prospect try to take more charge. For Joe Goosen to say during the broadcast that Chris Colbert is the best prospect in the sport, uh, Joe, I like you. You don't have to do that, bro. Don't do that again. You're better than that. Also on this card, Joey Spencer, 19 years old, and Vito Melnicki, 17 years old, both get distance victories, get some rounds in. These guys are super young, okay, and they have some tools. I'm just not seeing that it factor there. Maybe they'll develop. I'm just not seeing it. I don't know which PBC prospect is poised to kind of take the mantle from this current generation. There's not a lot there, okay? Uh, There's a couple of guys. There's definitely a couple guys. But I think what PBC is better at doing is plucking guys, prospects that other promoters build into champions and then plucking them at that point in their career. They're much better at doing that than developing prospects. That's just been uh, how it was, how it's been for a while. All right, top rank on ESPN from Turning Stone Resort in Verona, New York. Eladir Storm Alvarez scores a KO7 win over Michael Seals, all 37 years old, Six foot three of him. Uh, Alvarez making the comeback from that COVID of loss last February. Still has great power for that division. Still has one punch power, man. If he hits you clean, uh, it's pretty mean. You know what I'm saying? So he's definitely still a top player. Talking about possibly fighting Joe Smith Jr. next. Sign me up for some of that shit. I would love to see that fight. Also, uh, Felix Berdejo scores a unanimous decision win over Manuel Ray Rojas. Um, and uh, look, I get it. Verdejo's Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican rich boxing tradition. There's really no top Puerto Rican fighters right now. There's a couple of guys. This guy was a 2012 Olympian. Uh, lost to, I think, Lomachenko in the Olympics, I do believe. But I just don't see the next big thing in Felix Verdejo. And I, I think that top rank, let's just get this dude in a title fight. And he either has it or he doesn't. He either can step up in that situation or he can't. Stop this. You know, we're still building him up. Dude, just put him in there in the title fight by the end of this year. It's time, okay? Okay, uh, tonight, let's preview. There's some cards tonight, Thursday, January 23rd. Golden Boy Promotions on the zone from the hangar in Costa Mesa, California. By the way, just talking earlier in this episode about the shifting demographics of boxing. And, again, some of the old guard East Coast Boxing Writers Association of America type guys, I have a lot of respect for some of those guys. The older dudes, the senior generation that have, you know, carried the boxing media for the last 20 to 50 years. But a lot of those guys are in denial about the demographic shift in boxing. Mexican, Mexican-American fighters really, really are running it. The Mexican-American fan base, of course. Eastern Europeans, the next wave. And, you know, you're going to see these Uzbekistanis coming in. Ukrainians have already taken over to a large degree. You're going to see more and more of that. I I mentioned all that because, again, there's Thursday Night Boxing right now in Costa Mesa, California. This is a club show, obviously. Jason Quigley fighting uh, Mexican fighter Fernando Marin, who's lost four of his last seven. And this is, of course, a middleweight fight, 10 rounds. Uh, Sergei Bohachuk, KO3'd. This uh, Fernando Marin guy in his USA debut last July. So if Quigley, he's going to be measured against that loss, right? How does he do versus how does Bohachuk do? Uh, We'll find out. But anyway, I mentioned all this because California, it's something that I need to repeat more because people need to be talking about it more. California, that commission, there's more fights every year than New York, New Jersey, Nevada, and Texas combined. Those are the four biggest boxing markets after California. So think about this. Number one is California. The next four, California does more cards than all of them combined every year. So we call New York, Madison Square Garden, the mecca of boxing. Some people still call it that. Guess what? 
It's not. It's not. We call Philly a fight town, Detroit a fight town, Chicago a fight town. Guess what? They're not. When you compare to California, and I'm telling you right now, Texas is going to be number two real soon. If they're not already, they're on their way. And then the Nevada is always going to be the big money fights. New York is a huge market. There's always going to be a, mar- a huge marketplace there for boxing. But the mecca of boxing right now isn't New York. It's not MSG, okay? It's out west, and it's in the southwest. I guess Texas is considered southwest. So you're always going to have fighters from different markets, and you're seeing a resurgence a little bit with the Midwestern fighters. You know, um, I, I guess would Omaha, Nebraska be considered Midwest? Yeah, that's Midwest. Terrence Crawford out of Omaha, right? And you're seeing guys from those sorts of towns come up now. You're going to see more of that. But I'm just saying, you know, I just, I just find all this stuff interesting, and I just love to give you guys my perspective on it. Okay, uh, one big card coming up this Saturday, January 25. PBC on Showtime presents a night of showcases. Yes, uh, these are all showcase fights for the most part. Danny Garcia fighting Ivan Redcatch, who was born in Ukraine, Ukraina, but lives and trains out of Los Angeles and has for years. This is a showcase fight for Danny Garcia. No disrespect to Ivan Redcatch. I like Ivan. Ivan's a funny guy. He's a good dude. Me and him, you know, have joked and trolled together on Twitter and stuff about the like Jim Fail videos that I like to share and stuff. We have a good laugh. I like Ivan. He always gives an honest effort, but he's a career lightweight. He fought around 140 pounds from 2017 to most of 2019. His last fight was at this weird catchweight, technically a junior middleweight fight, against Devin Alexander last June. I think he was like 148, and Alexander was like 151. It was some some weird catchweight thing. But um, it wasn't even a welterweight fight. It was junior middleweight. So he's technically never had a welterweight fight, but that one fight against Devin Alexander somehow qualifies him to go up against Danny Garcia. It, it doesn't, right? Only, it, only in some idiot's head does that make any sense. But I just think that, you know, look, KO6 win over Devin Alexander last June, that's, a big, that's the best win of Ivan Redcatch's career. And that's a good, great win for him. But Alexander's well past it, wasn't the best version of Alexander. And I just don't think that he's going to be ready for Danny Garcia. Now, this isn't Garcia versus Rod Salka. It's not on that level. Ivan Redcatch is a good quality prize fighter. He's just too small and, and, and not on the level of Garcia. So this is going to be a pretty dominant win for Danny Garcia, who gets a lot of shit. Some of it's deserved, some of it's not. Okay, my thoughts, <laughs> Gail Falkenthal says, Rod Salka, never forget I don't think we can, Gail. We won't forget. That dude's name is famous, though, you know, because of that fight. But Danny Garcia had a great run at 140. Moves up to all the way up to, I think there was a couple catchweight fights, but all the way up to welterweight by the end of 2015. Let's look at his welterweight resume. Wins over very old versions of Paulie Malignaggi and Robert Guerrero, who I talked about earlier in the show, right? A win over Samuel Vargas. That's a decent win, but it's not great. A win over a completely ancient Brandon Rios. And then a win over Adrian Granados in his last fight, which is a decent win, but nothing great. So then losses to uh, Keith Thurman and Sean Porter. So those two fights were good fights against two top-level, top-five-at-the-time welterweights. Nothing wrong with losing to those two guys. But based on the rest of that welterweight resume... Is a lot of smoke and mirrors there. Yes, Pauli Malignaggi, Robert Guerrero, those are names. Brandon Rios is a name. But those guys were very old to ancient when Danny Garcia fought them. And I'm sorry, wins over Samuel Vargas and Adrian Granados, not necessarily elite. So where do you rate this guy as a welterweight? Because he's going to be the next guy for either Errol Spence pay-per-view or maybe, I don't know if they'll do Manny Pacquiao pay-per-view. I think Manny and his people, they want to fight Conor McGregor or somebody like that. So I just don't know where you rate this guy. And when I think the reason why he gets some shit is because he's turned down multiple offers to fight Terrence Crawford for career-high paydays. He's been offered 
uh, from top rank multiple times has turned it down. He's had opportunities to fight Manny Pacquiao on pay-per-view. He's turned it down. So he's had opportunities in the past. He's turned it down to fight lackluster fighters. When he stepped up twice at welterweight, he was clearly beat. I thought the fights against Thurman and Porter were competitive, close, but they were decisive. Thurman and Porter clearly beat Danny Garcia. There was no controversy to those fights. Some people say that on social media, but they're stupid. So, yeah, who mentioned, I just saw in the chat, Salu Mooney said uh, Danny Garcia is now the WBO number one. Yeah, well, there's no way that he's going to fight Terrence Crawford. Because remember, the PBC doesn't even recognize the WBO, even though they try to get one of their fighters uh, in a mandatory fight for or an eliminator fight at 154 pounds for the vacant WBO title recently. They don't like to mention that publicly, but I'm telling you that's what they did. So anyway, yeah, that fight is what it is. I just can't get excited for it. It'd be awesome to see an upset special. We'd all love that. We just saw one last week, of course, but not going to happen. Also, Jarrett Hurd fighting Francisco Santana, a California fighter who has lost four of his last seven and been used to build PBC prospects for years. Look at this guy's resume. Look it up on BoxRec. You'll see several PBC prospects over the years have fought this guy and beat him, either prospects or junior contenders. He fought one of the Charlos. He's fought several guys and he's just kind of been used to build them up. So he's kind of a recycle guy over at PBC, and now they're throwing him at Hurd. For Jarrett Hurd, this is his comeback fight from that loss to J-Rock last May. He went back and forth on the rematch before bailing on it. He hinted a move to 160. Now he's staying apparently at 154 pounds. So it just sucks because if he ultimately does stay at 54, we should have got a damn rematch between him and and J-Rock. But that all got screwed up. Who knows if that was all part of the plan to get those belts out of his hands to a more uh, to a, an opponent that's an easier matchup for him. I'm not going to say he's an evil genius like that. I'm just saying, you just wonder. You know what I'm saying? And now all this is, is up in the air. So this is a showcase fight. I mean, a complete showcase fight. So uh, Danny Garcia fighting Ivan Redcatch. At least Ivan Redcatch is coming off a decent win uh, over a shot opponent. But he's been in there with some top guys. And he's had some success. He's been competitive in spots. Uh, Santana is going to get completely bulldozed by Jared Hurd. So you guys, two showcase fights this Saturday. But there's no football on. You're not going to watch the Pro Bowl. The Super Bowl is next week. So, hey, you know, this is what you got for sports this weekend. Also on this card, actually the best fight on this card is a good solid prospect fight. Uh, Philly prospects, Stephen Fulton, 17-0, born and raised in Philly, 25 years old. These are 122-pounders going up against Arnold Kagai, who is from the Ukraine but lives and trains out of Philly himself. He is 16-0-1. So that's a good prospect fight. That's the best fight of the card. Watch that fight, and then if you go out with your girl and have dinner or something, or for you ladies watching, go out with your man and have dinner or something. You know what I mean? Because you already know what's going to happen in the other two fights. All right, guys, um, let's see. Let's get into the chat here. Drop these questions in. If you guys have been asking them uh, and I didn't see them, I apologize. Go ahead and just copy-paste and dump them in there. We'll do a, about five minutes of Q&A here, then we're going to jump off. Fank Cantu says, no Pro Bowl for me. Yeah, the Pro Bowl is a complete waste of time. I mean, you've got to be a degenerate football fan to watch that shit, you know, and I'm just not. Uh, Chadcook93 asks, any more cards in Atlanta? Look, I talked to Steven Espinoza last month. I talked to Leonard Ellerby. Uh, I've talked to people at top rank. There are several promoters who want to come out to Atlanta. The site fees and everything here are not very competitive compared to other markets. But uh, Steven Espinoza was telling me that, like, you know, you can't do a big event here with, like, someone like Deontay Wilder. But he was thinking, you know, we could bring his next mandatory fight to Atlanta. There will be more fights here. There absolutely will be. Tank Davis will fight here again. He has a house here, and his daughter lives here in Philly, the baby's mother and everything. So he'll, they'll be back in Atlanta. When? I don't know. The commission here needs to step up and do a better job. Not the strongest commission here. Luis Garibay asks, what is really going on with Triple G? You know, I think a big part of it has to do with the zone executives and Canelo 
which direction he's going to go. Is it going to be Billy Joe Saunders? Where date is that? I mean, we all know it's probably going to be around Cinco de Mayo in Vegas. But I think they're just trying to juggle that schedule around. And it's not 100% on Gennady to just move forward and fight who he wants because the zone wants to space things out to where they can maximize subscribership. And they have a reason for people to stay subscribed every month. So ideally, they would like the Golovkin fight close to the Canelo fight, but not in the same calendar month because they want people to subscribe to two different months. So unfortunately, Canelo is kind of holding things up a little bit. You know, if Golovkin really wanted to, he could just move forward and fight. He's going to fight the mandatory kid. But I think a big part of it is, okay, can we get Canelo Triple G3 set up for September? If that's the case, then here's what we're going to do in the spring. You know, these deals are so complicated. And I think right now they're kind of just in a holding pattern, man. Salo Mooney says, uh, Atlanta should already be a huge boxing town. MJB Taco says, I'll have to catch a fight in Atlanta. Hell yeah, guys. Uh, I agree with both of those statements. I think that there's tremendous potential here. I will say this. Since moving here, I have noticed that people in the South love wrestling. They love, and I don't just mean like WWE, I mean actual wrestling. A lot of guys here wrestle in high school. Like where I grew up, dudes boxed, dudes did um, kickboxing, taekwondo, that kind of shit. Nobody wrestled where I'm from. Nobody wrestled, right? That's just not something people did like in my neighborhood where I grew up. Here, everyone wrestles. Them, them, good fella says, them country boys. Yeah, they love wrestling. So that's why I think MMA is so big here. They all love MMA because it's wrestling. Most of MMA is wrestling. And you get into the same old arguments with guys like, oh, well, in a real street fight, MMA is closer because every fight ends up on the ground. I'm like, well, not in the neighborhood I grew up in. Most of the fights, people stayed on their feet where I grew up in. I think it's a cultural thing to a degree. But, um, yeah, so them country boys. <laughs> That's a great comment, man. It should be a big fight town. I will tell you this. If Atlanta is going to be a big fight town, it's going to be with the, with the black community and the growing immigrant community here. There is a good number of Eastern European immigrants, a good number of Mexican and Central American immigrants here. Not, not nearly as big as like L.A. or anything, but like it's growing. It's a growing uh, hub for, for immigrants, okay, because it's a white-collar city. There's a lot of financial banking kind of jobs here. So a lot of people are coming here and trying to get into those fields. So I think if the promoters were smart, Deontay Wilder lives in Alabama. It's a two-hour drive from, I think, maybe two- or three-hour drive from his hometown to Atlanta. And he parties here all the time. Tank parties here all the time. Floyd. I think Floyd might have a house here or something, or a condo. They all do. They all come down here and party. Adrian Broner's down here partying all the time. You hear all sorts of gossip about these dudes at the strip clubs and stuff. So if they were smart, they'd market to, to that group. And, I mean, that's what Leonard Ellerby said they want to do with Tank Davis. They make Actually, the next issue of Ring Magazine, my piece on Javante Davis will be in there with uh, quotes from my interviews with Leonard Ellerby and Steven Espinosa where they talk about specifically marketing to the black community in places like Atlanta, Baltimore. It, it's smart. It's smart marketing. It's what Top Rank is doing with – Jose Carlos Ramirez in, in upstate California and things like that, right? So there's a market here, and, but that's who you got to market to, I think. And then the mainstream will kind of fill in once they see, oh, there's something going on. I want to see, you know, how people are, people, hangers on. If they see there's a big event going on downtown, they'll go check it out and they'll pick up tickets at the window. That's just how these things work. John Yen asked, the networks could provide the financing and each weight class could be shown on each network. Easier said than done. But might that be the only way? I'm gonna, oh, oh, I'm saying it's a two-part question. So before that, John asked, would it be remotely possible to have the World Boxing Super Series co-promote three weight divisions with each of the top promoters? Top rank dominates 175. PBC owns uh, junior middleweight, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think so because, again, with 
Certain promoters, they don't want to give up promotional rights to their fighters. Top Rank does not do tournaments. Uncle Al doesn't love tournaments. I think the World Boxing Super Series is better for smaller, mid-level promoters and international promoters. A lot of the American promoters, you think about it, dude, if you're top rank and you have a network deal with ESPN, if you're PBC and you have a network deal with Fox, you're going to give up control of your fighter to go fight on the zone when they could be fighting on Fox. So that's going to be a hard sell for them. But other promoters who are network free agents or who fight on the zone over in the UK, they're fighting on Sky Sports, BT Sport, whatever they're going to be more inclined to go with the World Boxing Super Series. That just makes more sense for them. All right, a couple more here. Uh, Joe asks, hey, Mike, is Kelly Pavlik serious about a comeback at Cruiserweight or Light Heavy? It's funny you mention that, dude. I um, I chatted with Kelly last March at the Spence Garcia card. We chopped it up and talked a few different times during that week, during fight week. And he's dead serious about it. The thing is, he's really gotten into powerlifting the last few years. I don't know if he can make cruiserweight. That dude's getting swole. He's just a thick dude right now. Because he's constantly, it, he's not lifting for like like bodybuilding where you're trying to get cut. He's doing powerlifting. So he's just getting mass. And I just, I don't know how that's going to affect his boxing. I will say though, he's a strong dude. And pound for pound. Up against heavyweights, there's several. He could absolutely, Kelly Pavlik right now could bench, squat, deadlift, and overhead press way more than guys like Deontay Wilder, probably even Anthony Joshua. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what the dude does every day. He's in the gym powerlifting. So it could be interesting. Do I think he'd win a title or anything? No, but if he comes back for a couple of fights at heavyweight or something, I'd watch. I think it'd be fun, man. And it's it is possible. He, he told me, you know, he he's kind of itching, and it happens, you know. John Uden with the super chat. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it, brother. He says, uh, "Surprise, Spencer opened the Fox broadcast at this point in his development. Could PBC be pushing him too fast?" That's an outstanding point. Outstanding point. And we'll end on this today, guys. Um, so I talked about Spencer and Milnicki earlier, how they're really young. They've got some tools, but they're just, they're, they're missing a lot and they need to be developed. And I was actually listening to the Boxing Rant podcast, my boys Kenny and, uh, and Vince earlier this week, and they were talking about this. They, they talked about it for, for a minute. With this era, because you get all the fights being streamed, right? With, with DAZN, you get every fight. With ESPN, you know, they might start the undercar on ESPN+. Plus. With the Fox cards, it might be on Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, whatever. So now you're seeing all the fights. And for a really thin card like we had with Rosario Williams, they didn't really have much. So they kind of had to throw Spencer on TV. This kid's 19. He's nowhere near ready for primetime TV. It's great that he's getting exposure, okay? But hopefully... They are not trying to push him to a title fight anytime soon. He's nowhere near ready for that. He needs to kind of be doing the Daniel Dubois thing. Frank Warren has him fighting. Yeah, he's fighting a lot of cab drivers, but he's fighting often and he's developing. And they're not talking about, of course, there's a little trash talk, but they're not seriously talking about putting Daniel Dubois in a title fight anytime soon because he's young. He's got plenty of time to develop. The thing is in boxing now, what do we see a lot of? prospects with titles and these it just generally speaking doesn't go well when Guillermo Rigondeaux won a title early on in his career when Vasily Lomachenko won a title early on in his career if you looked at their records they were like nine and one ten and oh whatever it was and you're thinking to to the untrained unnuanced fan you're looking at that and you're thinking these guys are prospects they have a title much different situation right Spencer, Melnicki, even Colbert, who won like some interim title against Jazreel Corrales. Of course, the WBA to throw that shit in there. Chris Colbert is not ready to fight the best 130 pounders on the planet. He's not. And now he has a piece of a title, which means at some point 
The WBA is going to put him in there against their 130-pound champion. That's going to be tough for him, right? So, yeah, I'm with you, bro. Uh, Spencer should be off TV. If you want to put him on Fox Sports 2, if you want to stream his shit on YouTube, cool. You want to build up a little bit uh, with the diehard fans, cool. But putting this dude on primetime TV on Fox, just not ready for that yet. And I don't know if it's the right way to develop a prospect. Just don't know if that's the right thing. All right, guys, have a great weekend. Um, see you Monday. Remember, 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. We'll probably wait till I don't know, about 7.30-ish to start doing phone calls. All right, I'll probably do an intro with news and notes and everything, and then we'll get to the phone calls. So um, I, I can't wait for that, man. It's going to be awesome. It's just going to be awesome. So um, the number, again, I'll repeat this later, but 213-267-7787. And for you international callers, we will have an 800 number at some point lined up. So, uh, man, it's going to be great. I'll see you guys Monday. Have a great weekend. See you at the fights.